The Athletic. Starcast, the German football pod, brought to you by The Athletic. In today's special Tuesday edition, we take a look at Bayern, the world club champions, playing out a thrilling 3-3 draw with Bielefeld in the snowy Allianz Arena. We look forward to Borussia Dortmund's Vion Rose after the revelation that it'll be Ciao Marco Ciao at the Borussia Park this summer and wonder if it's bow nose at Mainz. Will new manager Svensson keep them up? All of this and more in Stahlkast. Hello, I'm delighted to say that Kevin and Christoph are here to make sense of it all alongside me. But before we get going, I can bring you the welcome news that subscriptions are currently 50% off for the year, which works out at less than £1 a week. Go to theathletic.com Pod to take advantage of this limited offer. So Christoph, when you had the fine idea to delay this week's recording to Tuesday, you said it's because of Bayern and the Bielefeld game. And I thought, really? Do we have to wait for Bayern beating <laughs> Bielefeld on a Monday night before we record the pod? But it proved inspired for more than, than one reason. Starting with Bayern, a really fun game with the snow, with the orange ball, 3-3. A bit of a throwback to, to the past, really, wasn't it, Christoph? Yeah, it was It was nice chaos. And and Bielefeld played very well, but but I was also, in a way, impressed by by the uh, comeback qualities of, uh, of Bayern. They were, I think, a bit proud of themselves afterwards because, I mean... It, uh, we, we we have to keep in mind um, they had been to Qatar they had been playing twice a week they had been won, winning this uh, World Club Cup most people in Germany were not really are not really impressed by this competition but I think Bayern was proud of winning it having the six tuple and and then it's Monday and then it's snowing and then it's Bielefeld and then you're two nil down and then you're three one down and you come back so it was all it you're, you're right it was very entertaining Kevin a throwback to the good old times or a worrying sign that Bayern are just not quite at it this season I, I think we've seen a few performances like this I mean you go back to the Mainz game where they were um, very vulnerable in the first half they were 2-0 down at half time they came back and won 5-2 so they didn't quite manage the same thing against Bielefeld, but there is real steel there and there is a real champion's will, if you like, and they have dug themselves out of trouble on plenty of occasions. And even though we've talked a lot, and rightly so, about how vulnerable they've looked, uh, especially with that high defensive line, how easy it is for teams to make chances against them, they're still top of the league by a significant margin and they've still won the DFL Super Cup, the UEFA Super Cup, the Club World Cup. They've added all of those to what they won last season. So it isn't vintage Bayern per se, but they are still getting the job done. I guess one of the big tests comes very soon when they face Lazio in the Champions League. But I think in difficult circumstances, you know, just coming back from Qatar, as Christoph says, but also losing Thomas Müller, I think we saw... Uh, to an extent, how important he, he is for them uh, on Monday night. Uh, I think they'll be happy to come out with a point from a difficult situation. Uh, Christoph, what did you make of uh, Buna Sar's performance? 
he really reminded me of of some of his predecessors in the fullback position at Bayern. I'm thinking of um, players like Massimo Odo, Christian Lell, Edison Braithwaite. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't quite Bayern standard, was it from him? Yeah, and and I think it has been uh, proven before so that they signed a player in him that doesn't have the standard to 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 play for Bayern and so when you 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 try again against a presumably lowly Bielefeld and and it doesn't work again. I also have my doubts about Hernandez, especially when, when you think about the price tag he, he still carries around. They paid 80 million uh, to Atletico for him. So is he the future of um, the Bayern central defense. I, I, I have my doubts. And um, so I think everybody... So in this context, the big news is uh, that uh, Upamecano, Dayot Upamecano will uh, join Bayern uh, next season. And I, I think that relaxes a lot of people at Bayern and around Bayern. Yeah, what do, what do you make of this uh, transfer, Kevin? I've seen a lot of reactions on social media saying, oh, this, this just shows that the Bundesliga, there's something wrong. You know, the second best team losing one of their best players to Bayern. How can we ever have competitiveness? I mean, there's something in that, even though it might not be the, the full picture. But what do you make of it? I think it's a tremendous signing for Bayern. I think we've seen his development in the Bundesliga. It's been a very rapid development. He's somebody that does take risks on the ball, but generally they pay off. Um, very, very solid in terms of his tackling, his work in the air. Uh, I think he's got better under Julian Nagelsmann. So I think it's a great signing for Bayern. And I think people have maybe not misunderstood, but haven't really taken the right angle with this because it's not a case of Leipzig happily selling him to Bayern. He had a release clause, which Bayern, like many clubs, would have, have taken advantage of. And the agreement that Leipzig had with him was very similar to the one they had with Timo Werner, which was, look, we would like you to stay for another year. That will help us. And then we won't price you out of a move the following summer. And so Werner got his move to the Premier League and Upa Meccano has his move to Bayern. So I think it's an exciting signing for Bayern. And I think the temptation is in this debate to look at ways to pull Bayern down instead of looking at ways that Leipzig and Dortmund and Leverkusen can, instead of just being development centres, create something a bit more sustainable and build a team that wants to stay together and build a team where the automatic option is not to go somewhere else, either to the Premier League or automatically to Bayern. Now, I know that's not an easy thing to do, But that's what those clubs have to strive for rather than us constantly carping at Bayern for actually just being a very well-run football club. My impression also is in this case, um, it's not a... Well, I, I don't see it as a transfer where a Bayern tries to weaken an opponent. I mean, it was so obviously obvious that they uh, need a, a central defender And uh, they have one of the best um, available in the Bundesliga. And they uh, so they tried to go for him and, and got him in the end. And um, I think Upamecano uh, otherwise would have left the Bundesliga to wherever in England or maybe Spain or I don't know. And, and so uh, 
in this case, I've, I find it okay. I mean, we had a lot of transfers in the past where, they, where you always also had the feeling a player is not only coming to Bayern to strengthen the team, but to weaken an uh, opponent. But, but this time, it's not the impression I have. Yeah, especially when they bought Vash- Hashemian. From uh, <laughs> from Bochum, yes, from, uh, that uh, from Bochum, yeah. <laughs> so we we're, were on <laughs> our way up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I I'd agree with you. I think this is not one of those um, let's uh, put the other team down moves from Bayern, but a natural one. In a way, they can't win because if they leave these players or let these players leave, as they did with Harvard, so they couldn't afford him with Werner because that was their decision or in the past with Leroy Sané uh, or Kevin De Bruyne. They feel, you know, how could we how could we let these players go? Uh, they're already in the Bundesliga. We have to take them. If they do take them, then it's seen as as Bayern, you know, destroying the opposition. Uh, and, and Kevin is ultimately right. I mean, the change cannot come from Bayern itself. It cannot come from uh, putting obstructions into Bayern's way. Um, we have to somehow find a way to strengthen those sides below but it can only come with making a lot of really right decisions, plus perhaps a bit more money. And that brings us back to a very difficult talk about the future of the structure in the Bundesliga, which we've talked in the past and I don't think we'll, we'll go into now. Well, one more thing I want to talk to both of you about Bayern before we move on is this noise off the pitch. Um, Hansi Flick, who's usually a very mild-mannered guy, kind of blew his top because uh, one of the um, most prolific epidemiologists and politicians in Germany had a go at Bayern saying uh, Thomas Müller should have stayed in Qatar with his positive corona test. Um, he criticized Karl-Heinz Rummenigge's suggestion that players should be vaccinated in brackets maybe earlier than others, brackets closed, although it, he didn't say it explicitly. Maybe there was the intention, we don't know. Um, Christoph, is this all just football and then bind by extension being sort of a projection area for people who for one reason or the other are unhappy with what's happening with the pandemic and and bind are just caught up with it whatever they do or is it something that they've courted and should be blamed for to a certain extent because of the way they behaved. How, how do you see this? I'm surprised to see that when, whenever you hear something from, from Bayern in, in recent days, and I mean, last week we have, have been joking about their complaints about their late departure from Berlin, uh, where, where they missed the deadline uh, for three minutes and had to, to stay seven hours at the airport before they could um, uh, fly to Qatar. But the things you, you've mentioned now, I'm, I'm surprised that they are yeah, hitting the wrong tone every time. So I, if you say it's, it's a good idea uh, maybe to vaccinate football players that people know and when they see uh, they uh, get vaccinated, it's a kind of advertisement. Yeah, it's maybe it's a good idea. But but right now in Germany, uh, the situation is uh, that that we don't have enough stuff to vaccinate people. And and so why is he saying that? Uh, is it his idea that uh, Bayern wants to jump the queue and uh, be vaccinated first? What what strange idea is that? And why? 
Why do you criticize a politician that gets death threats every day because of the position he's taking? And so if, if you do that, you should know. I don't think that Hansi Flick has been thinking about it, that you you fuel this aversion against this man. And so I uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, they are also maybe under pressure because, yeah, you say it rightly, they are projection. But also there is, in general, a lot of uh, negative feelings about the whole football circus, circus going on this week. They... Uh, uh, Leipzig is playing against uh, Liverpool in Budapest. It's also so strange and and crazy in a way. And so I think it's this mix. Um, but but really to to sum it up, Bayern should think twice before they talk uh, in the in the next weeks to come. And that's often been a problem with Bayern. <laughs> They yeah, but un under these but, but under these circumstances, it's more important because it's not only haha family football folklore and and uh, a lot of sh it 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 has serious implications. So and therefore, my little advice. <laughs> I think it's quite interesting that Hansi Flick's already said that maybe he should meet Karl Lauterbach and kind of. Uh, not necessarily apologize, but certainly have a conversation and maybe explain. But I agree with Christoph. I think you have to be very, very careful, especially when you're talking about vaccinations. You have to be very, very careful about what you say because I think it's important not to forget what privileged position football is in. And there are reasons for that. But, you know, there was quite a humble tone at the start when the Bundesliga first came back. And obviously the league's been back for quite a while now. And I think it is important to retain that feeling that, they are privileged to still be playing. Obviously, the, the the players are putting themselves at risk, so that's the other side of it. But there are a lot of people that weren't happy in Germany with uh, the Bundesliga coming back when it did. So, yeah, I agree with Christoph. I think Bayern do have to strike a very careful and conciliatory tone if they can. Well, the H in Bayern stands for humility. We, we know that, but... Um... <laughs> I agree with both of you. I think it was a little bit unfortunate. And I, 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 what I do find funny uh, is not so much with, with this whole, the wider implications, because they are quite serious. But um, on Twitter, you often see people thinking, oh, this is all kind of a some devious, devious strategy from Bayern to deflect some criticism or attention. And knowing Bayern, you just know there is no strategy. Uh, in, in this particular case, uh, this is just people talking out of line and then trying to rein their own thoughts back in. Um, Sporting-wise, it's it's okay. That point keeps them top, of course. Still five points ahead of Leipzig. Leipzig could play Liverpool uh, later tonight on Tuesday night. And I think we'll talk about that at the end. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. But the second big story, and again, I can only praise Christoph's foresight, uh, or maybe perhaps um, information uh, and insight 
was, of course, that on Monday, 20 past three local time, <laughs> the worst kept secret in German football was revealed. Marco Rosa is going from one Borussia to the next at the end of the season. Uh, Dortmund have unofficially confirmed it in an interview with um, Hans-Joachim Watzke. Borussia Mönchengladbach have put it on their website saying that they did hold a lot of talks with Rosa, but it wasn't able to change his mind effectively. And Dortmund have triggered his release clause for 5 million euros and he's going over to Dortmund. Now, there's all sorts of follow-up questions to this. The most important one, I guess, is, is he going from one Europa League side to another? <laughs> yeah, there is a fair chance. I mean, the, the gap uh, for Borussia Dortmund uh, for the places that will lead them in the Champions League next season is six points now. They didn't play well against Hoffenheim when they were drawing 2-2. And my, my the story I, I was telling, so my little narrative about Borussia Dortmund, they are just a bit unlucky right now, but they will find back, uh, they will uh, get back on track. Mm. Uh, so uh, when, <laughs> when I was watching the game, I was like, mm-hmm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> maybe this this was uh, a theory um, uh, a bit uh, way up, uh, too far from reality, and the situation right now makes uh, uh, things more complicated for Borussia Dortmund than Borussia Mönchengladbach. That's what what I guess because uh, now Edin Terzic is uh, officially the interim coach, and I don't know if that will strengthen uh, his position. In the, in the work he has to do with his squad. I think the players would have always known that Terzic wasn't going to be the long-term option. They seem to have been quite supportive of him publicly, but they neither team is playing well. I, I do think that announcing this now is a good thing uh, because at least it gives some clarity to Dortmund, it gives some clarity to Gladbach. I do think maybe he's got a few fences to mend in terms of his relationship with a couple of the Gladbach players because there were reports suggesting that a couple of players feel quite hurt and quite betrayed because they were given the impression, allegedly by Rosa, uh, that he was looking to build something in the long term. And you looked at their performance against Wolfsburg on Sunday and there is something missing. They're strangely timid. They're not playing in the way that uh, they are capable of playing. And it's been a very strange season for them. And I think they're just not set up necessarily to fight on multiple fronts. I think we've seen that with the rotation in recent weeks, that disastrous team selection against Köln. I just don't think they're ready to be successful in Europe and maintain a really good charge in the Bundesliga. We've seen the level they can get to under Rosa. They've beaten Bayern. They've managed to beat Dortmund. Uh, they've beaten Leipzig this season. But they've tossed away so many points uh, in the Bundesliga against teams you would expect them to beat. Uh, they're just not quite there. So I can understand why he would want to go to Dortmund to work with a better squad. Obviously, you know, a bigger club in some ways. You know, there's always the the allure of, of the yellow wall when eventually the yellow wall is refilled, uh, which we hope will be the case. So I can understand the move, but it might be tricky in the next few months. Uh, Christoph, 
If Marco Rosa moves over to Dortmund, having missed out on the Champions League with Gladbach, does that damage his standing and, and will confer less status and reputation? Or is the bigger danger to him that Dortmund miss out on the Champions League and he has to have a rebuilding process with less money and perhaps more players leaving. In a way, I don't want to say he can't win, but it's shaping up to be already a difficult first season for him, whatever the outcome. Unless they both qualify, of course, which is still possible, but maybe unlikely. I agree. I think it's almost sure, uh, or it feels almost sure, that Borussia Mönchengladbach won't qualify for the uh, Champions League. But, but altogether, all his success at uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach would be okay if they would qualify for the Europa League uh, next season. And uh, so uh, one season qualify for the uh, Champions League last year. Uh, this season, for the first time ever in the history of Mönchengladbach, Borussia Mönchengladbach qualifying um, uh, after the group matches, for the round after the group matches, it's, it's, a, it's a great success. And then at the end, uh, international football again for Borussia Mönchengladbach next season, that would be... Uh, he, he could lay, uh, leave his, his, with his head up. But the situation uh, at Borussia Dortmund, if they uh, won't qualify for the Champions League again, will be very, very difficult because... Um, Borussia Dortmund has to cut down then and they have to sell at least one of their uh, best players, be it Jaden Sancho or Erling Haaland. And they won't get as much money as uh, they would have got uh, last summer or, or even the year before, because I think the market in summer will be very, very uh, difficult for 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 big signings, so uh, I'm I'm almost sure you don't get as much money as you would normally, and 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 so uh, not qualifying for uh, the Champions League uh, comes for Borussia Dortmund at the worst possible time, and um, uh, so that means uh, that Rose would come in at the worst possible situation. I mean, it's 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 a comfortable situation <laughs> compared to many other clubs, but but uh, uh, but Borussia Dortmund be belongs to another uh, sphere of football, and they are in the danger of dropping out of this. Um, Kevin suggested that the effect on Terzic would be negative, and by extension. On, on the squad on the whole. What's the effect on, on Gladbach? I guess there are two possibilities. One is that the team feel, okay, uh, this story is coming to an end. Let's make sure we have the best possible ending to it. Let's really pull together. Let's create that bit of, um, a bit of a magical effect, maybe. And then we can all say goodbye and move on. Or is Rosa the type of guy with his full commitment and buy-in and the idea that you know he's the head of the project that now that he's leaving that project players at least some players at some level feel maybe let down a little bit and think that you know you told us about doing things together but you're jumping ship i wouldn't expect it so it's uh, i mean it's a the lame duck question uh will 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 Rosen i think it's different no i think it's not not so much about the lame duck. I think what could the could the team be a little bit sad that they lose a guy who you know was the face of the of the success of the last eighteen months, 
and who, at least I felt from a distance, managed to sort of push the whole club with his personality and charisma. But now he's leaving. Is that sort of a, I don't want to say betrayal, but, you know, a sense of being let down and a sense of perhaps um, being left behind? Uh, I, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't think so. Um, I, I, I think it's um, they will uh, all go on very professionally. Uh, the the only thing I can see is is another effect. So um, there are a lot of uh, players who bigger clubs are interested in, uh, like Florian Neuhaus, Markus Thuram, and so on and so on, and and maybe they will start to think. So if our boss or Gaffer is is taking the ne next step uh, to Borussia Dortmund. What about me? Is it time for me to leave as well? Or um, is this a, a club still on the upward trajectory and uh, we will have a great time to come? That's an effect I, I see. Mm -hmm. but, 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 I, but apart from that, I, I would regard this team as um, very professional. Uh, I, you said it, um, Rose is very charismatic and his charisma um, won't, uh, won't leave him because, uh, because he has announced his departure. So I, I don't see, see uh, many problems to come for, for Gladbach. I think there might be a small effect. I do agree with you, Rafa, to some extent. And I think it'll be an individual thing. I think most players will probably get on with it. But I think there might be one or two for whom this is a real setback and, and this is a real personal disappointment. And we might only be talking about a few percentage points in terms of performance. We might only be talking about a very short-term effect. But I would be surprised if there isn't some kind of tangible psychological effect with some players because he is a leader. He is somebody who's managed to unite that squad and get them playing uh, you know, pretty close to their maximum in many of the games that they've played. So I think there will be a feeling that they're they're a little bit let down, even though it was an open secret for a while that he might go. I think the actual confirmation of it, I think that will hit home. Okay, and what are we to make of Dortmund's chances in Champions League? They are way too severe, maybe not quite the same level of challenge and difficulty without the fans, but still not a team you you'd necessarily want to play, especially if you're continuing to be vulnerable at the back. Christoph. And, 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 and Sevilla is in a, a, a frightening form right now. I mean, they have won uh, nine of their last 11 games and uh, drawn twice, conceded almost no uh, goals. Uh, and uh, I think... Uh, on, on paper, they they look like the easier opponent compared to Liverpool, uh, for example, who uh, Leipzig is is playing. But I think right now uh, they are probably one of of the the worst opponents you can get in the in the Champions League because they saw so in form and and Borussia Dortmund, as we have seen uh, in recent weeks, is is uh, far from being in a good form. I felt when the draw was made, it was 50-50. I actually think Sevilla are favourites now because they look far and away the more cohesive unit. They're very well coached. There's a really good balance to the sides. Papu Gomez has gone there from Atalanta and they'll need him now because Lucas Campos is injured. They've got strikers in form. El Naziri's played really well and they're so solid 
uh, in midfield in defence. So this is a massive challenge for Terzic and a massive challenge for those Dortmund players. Well, what we can say about Dortmund is that their performances in the Champions League so far, by and large, under Lucien Favre of blessed memory, um, <laughs> were quite <laughs> mature and were quite solid, by and large. Is there any suggestion or any hope that they will somehow turn up and and wise up and sharpen up and just be a bit more like a real football team rather than a collection of individuals. Especially this match against uh, Hoffenheim gave me a, a, a lot of uh, uh, things to, to, to think about because um, actually it was, it was pretty bad because um, Mats Hummel said it afterwards. Um, he, he said that they played wildly in the uh, second half and so they are seem to be come farer and farer away from from a decent tactical order so they were very often you could see during the match the the team was split up in two parts some of uh, some of them defending some of them attacking and that's it's uh, not not the cohesion you you need to to have on if you want to play football on a um, on a, a, a certain level I, I found it interesting after the match that uh, Didi Harman as an expert for for Sky was doubting uh, the future of Erdin Terzic and um Ah, and and I also had the f the impression that uh, maybe he's not getting things together at Borussia Dortmund right now. And then, if if that's so, uh, they're having a real problem. So you have the you have the care caretaker manager who is probably not taking care enough, uh, good enough. And on the other uh, on the other side, you have the 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 savior in waiting. But what do do you do in between? Ooh. The positive is they've got match winners. They've got guys like Erling Haaland and Jaden Sancho that can take a game away from you, even if the team in general isn't playing that well. But They need some kind of platform to at least be in the game and be in the tie to work their magic. And I think Christoph's right. I think had Hoffenheim been more clinical, instead of talking about a 2-2 draw, I think we could have been talking about a 4-1 defeat because Hoffenheim made chance after chance, didn't make the most of them. And it was a pretty horrible performance in many ways. 1-1 uh, Dortmund, Christoph, before we move on. Is there anyone out there that could step in and be the caretaker after the caretaker. <laughs> There were some stories a couple of years ago when Dortmund was struggling that Obmar Hitzfeld might be persuaded to come back. Okay. Uh, Dortmund denied that there was ever <laughs> ever um, a real suggestion. But is there is there some kind of, you know, Jupinkus type figure that the Dortmund could find if if they really have to make another change. I think they will uh, try to f again try to force um, Matthias Sommer uh, into responsibility, but I think he uh, again would decline it. I don't know. I don't know if they have a plan C or is it plan B or D? I don't know. But I but but I, I would doubt Ottmar Hitzfeld. Uh, actually, oh, no, me too. Is it conceivable that um, Hans Joachim Watzke might actually believe? You know what? I'm going to sort this out. 
I'm going <laughs> to step knows? up and be the coach for a couple of games. That oh, might appeal that, to him. It's probably not going to happen. We don't have a lot of time left, but I think we should talk a little bit Leipzig, uh, Liverpool. Um, Leipzig, one of only two winners in this match day. We've had draws, draws, draws. Frankfurt won against Köln to go into third or to stay in third. And we had Leipzig beating Augsburg 2-1 on Friday night. First question here, have there ever been as many draws in a match day? should probably know this, but um, it, it does does feel like maybe a new record, possibly. More importantly, Leipzig. It was one of those small wins that you have to somehow get over the line if you want to be a Champions League team. And of course, if you want to be anywhere near a championship challenge, they managed to do that. They're going now into this Liverpool game, I think, feeling reasonably confident. Maybe not so much because of what they're doing, but because of the way things have gone for Liverpool. How do the both of you see this game shaping up? I think it should be pretty exciting, to be honest, because if you look at Leipzig's games uh, against the likes of Paris and against the likes of Manchester United, for, for various reasons, they've been exciting, whether Leipzig have imploded in the way that they did at Old Trafford or risen to the occasion in the way that they did against United in Germany in a game that they had to win. They had a great comeback against Paris where they looked as though they were going to be blasted out of it in the opening exchanges. And then they dug in. Peter Galacci saved a penalty, which was very important. And then they went on to win that game. We had that crazy game in Turkey against Bashak Shahir, uh, where they uh, managed to dig out the win really late on. And generally, if, even if you go back to Julian Nagelsmann's time at Hoffenheim in the group stage, almost every game was a thriller. Lots of goals scored, lots of goals conceded. And I think they will look at what Liverpool are doing right now in terms of how Liverpool are defending. And they will feel that they're going to make chances and they're going to have the opportunity to do some real damage. The caveat is that if you look at some of Liverpool's away displays recently, the one at Tottenham, the one at West Ham, even the first hour against Leicester before it all went horribly wrong, that front three can still do a hell of a lot of damage. So I actually think this could be, and the nil-nil is coming up, I guarantee you, I actually think <laughs> this could be a really a really entertaining game, like really good fun. Uh, it's bound to be nil-nil with no chances now. Uh, but I, I, I hope and I think this will be a, a bit of a classic encounter. I, I fully agree uh, uh, with, with Kev. I think it should be a very entertaining uh, game and interesting also. I mean, especially for, I, I think for, for most coaches in, in Germany, but especially for Nagelsmann, it's also, I mean, in reality, uh, it's not Nagelsmann against Klopp. I mean, it's always, uh, it's told like it's Nagelsmann against Klopp. No, it's, it's, uh, Leipzig against Liverpool. But also in a way, it's Nagelsmann against Klopp. And for every coach in Germany, uh, Jürgen Klopp right now is uh, the greatest, and and uh, so you 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 so you're trying yourself uh, ag against the greatest. You're maybe uh, trying to get a the extra clever tactical idea to uh, to coach him out or whatever. And so uh, I think this will also be part of the fun to see 
uh, what extra clever or too clever or whatever idea Nagelsmann will have to uh, try to defeat Liverpool. So yeah, I'm 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 uh, also looking forward to see the match. I'd personally be very happy if he doesn't have any big ideas when it comes to dressing <laughs> on the sideline this time. Um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, I agree with you. I mean, it was very very interesting. I, I don't know if you saw this, but. Um, Leipzig published this little talk that they had between Klopp and and Nagelsmann just for five minutes, and I was genuinely uh, taken aback by the 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 good natured uh, feeling between them, and the, the the relationship seemed to be very warm. Uh, I had no idea that uh, Klopp and Nagelsmann had that relationship. Did did you, Kevin or, or Christoph? No, no, it was interesting, and because obviously. Um, you know, it goes. He was talking about the Hoffenheim Liverpool playoff, so they 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 have they have met and taken each other on. But yeah, I was I was surprised. But they're both, you know, they're both very charismatic, very engaging characters, and that's the the basis of their success to an extent. They're you know they are people, people. You know, they they are motivators. They are people who understand. Uh, people and they understand interpersonal relationships so I, I guess it makes sense that two guys like that should strike up such a good affection for each other right there's there's one more game and one more team we can briefly discuss before Christoph has to jet off to uh, adventures in in wintry Berlin Mainz coming back from 2-0 down against Leverkusen they are in 17th still, but on 14 points now. Four points the gap between them, Bielefeld and Hertha, the teams ahead of them. Is there a sign that under Bo Svensson, a player who played under Klopp, but also worked with Ralf Rangnick, a little bit like Marco Rosa, that they have appointed a manager who can actually work a minor miracle here? Kevin, I know you watched this game. What, what do you think? Yeah, I thought they were great, especially in the second half because they really took control. It wasn't a case of them digging in and clinging on for dear life. They actually played genuine attacking football in that second half. And what will be remarkable if they do stay up is they'll have done it with no top-class strikers. I mean, the, the the one guy you'd have said in their squad, as inconsistent as he was, that was a genuine match winner in the centre-forward position was Jean-Philippe Mateta, and he's gone to Palace. So now what they're doing is they're making sure they keep their shape. They're making sure they work incredibly hard. You know, he's picking guys like Adam Soloy and Carrie Bonisivo. Who've be- well, they've only got one goal between them going into the weekend's game. But they are fighting. And you look at Leverkusen's performance and how badly they were affected by the the effort and the quality that Mainz found in that second half. It's very impressive. The caveat would be that Leverkusen were awful. I mean, you look at it without watching the game and say, ah, but they were 2-0 up in the 89th minute. They were dreadful. Uh, And had they won that game, it would have been one of the biggest travesties of the Bundesliga season. And Peter Boss said afterwards, it was the worst performance since he'd arrived at the club. Some weeks ago, I had this little, was holding this little speech here that uh, the future at Mainz has already started and that they... Um, had uh, turned things round. Uh, my expectation was uh, for the second division next year. Uh, but now they look like as if they really might have a chance, especially because they were winning points 
uh, in the last weeks, Leverkusen, Union Berlin and Leipzig against teams from the top half of the uh, uh, of the table where you wouldn't expect them to get points from. And so the others are uh, still to come. And and so they are from a, a, a tiny chance uh, to avoid relegation to a... Um, a slightly bigger chance uh, right now, but but also your 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 question was about Bo Svensson. I think uh, he is uh, very clearly the man for for Mainz, and uh, and uh, will it be as the great savior of this season or the man who will uh, lead them back in the Bundesliga when they go down to, to the second? Um, uh, it it looks like uh, things are working now in Mainz. It certainly does. And whatever happens with Mainz, you will find out here first. Well, maybe not first, but you'll find it out here on Steilcast. Uh, when we come back next Monday in our regular slot, please tune in then. Christoph and Kevin, thank you. Thank you, dear listener. Speak soon again. Ciao, ciao. The Athletic. <laughs>